2: Hello and welcome to Live Life Better, brought to you by Virgin and Penguin Living. I'm Melissa Hemsley, your guide in exploring the art of self-improvement with authors, experts and curious minds here in conversation. Spring is very nearly here and as nature prepares to do its thing and bounce back from the winter months, we've decided to do the same here today. Today's topic is resilience. We'll be tackling life's hurdles and stresses with new life And I'm joined here today by two wonderful authors at the table. My first guest is Emma Cannon, a fertility and women's health expert, who's also a five-time author and writer of the new title, Fertile. Nourish and balance your body for baby making. Welcome to the show, Emma. Hi, Melissa. It's so nice to see you. Very happy you're here. And joining Emma is Neil Shah, director of the Stress Management Society. He's a success coach, a motivational speaker and author of the 10-step stress solution. So keen to hear about it, Neil. Thank you.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
2: Coming up later as well, we'll be hearing from performance coach Sarah Milne-Rowe on her book, The Shed Method. But Emma and Neil, can we talk resilience for a minute? Tell us what that word means to you.
0: Now, that's a fantastic question to start with. And it's also such an interesting word because it means so many different things to so many different people. We live in a world that is only ever increasing in pace and intensity. Most of us find ourselves swimming in a fast-moving river. And the river is getting faster and faster day by day. We create new technologies, new approaches, new things that are going to cause pressure and put additional demands on our life. And most people aren't equipped to cope with it. And many people, sadly, are finding themselves getting ripped under by the current. Learning to increase your resilience, for me, is an opportunity to stand on the bank for a brief period of time because when you jump back in the river you want to find yourself a little bit better equipped to cope with whatever life throws at you. A toolkit. Absolutely. I like calling it a toolkit. That's absolutely what it is and it covers so many different aspects and facets of your life the pillars of well-being if you like.
2: The word resilience as well I feel like it was the word that people used to talk generations gone by you know we were resilient during the war and now we Don't use that word so much, but it's a positive word, isn't it? It's about bending and flexing to take on life's challenges.
0: The top four premature killers on the planet today, heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes and stroke, Stress is both directly and indirectly contributing to all four of those. But sadly, something else we're seeing in modern society, the top killer for young men, men under the age of 45 in Western Europe, is suicide. Ultimately, it can lead to someone getting to the point where they seek the permanent solution to a temporary problem. If we think of stress not from a human perspective, but from an engineering perspective, let's think of a bridge, a tower bridge, for example, is a bridge that everyone can visualise. And let's say we put a whole load of pressure and load and demand on it. We put a whole load of red double-decker buses, HMS Belfast, a couple of Boeing 747s. Every bridge on the planet, if enough pressure is applied for long enough, will ultimately collapse. But before it collapses, we're going to know it's not coping because there'll be bowing, buckling, groaning, creaking, fractures that's giving us feedback to suggest it's not bearing the load effectively. Now, human beings are exactly the same. Building our resilience is nothing more than understanding what concrete blocks or iron girders can we put underneath our support structures to better equip us to cope with whatever life throws at us Mm. there are many different ways that we can do that
2: and I'm excited to hear you're going to tell us some key tips, aren't you? Because you've got 10 steps, but we'll hear a couple of them later on. Absolutely. Perfect. And Emma, so you give workshops all around the world. You have people come and do one-on-ones, your books. You do lots of podcasts and appearances too, I know, because I've been to them. When people walk in to see you and they're not feeling as strong as they'd like to be, they're not feeling as resilient or balanced, what advice
3: do you give them? For me, what resilience means is it's how we deal with what life deals us. I'm army general's daughter. So yes. I was definitely taught to be resilient. You know, we, we all cleaned our shoes on Sunday night and we were very Packed disciplined. Packed the bag the night before. I'm an army <laughs> exactly. kid too. Oh we yes, of course you are. Yeah. So <laughs> tough, um, tough, tough, tough. Yeah. It? So the sort of idea of resilience was always there, but also this very feminine energy that was in our house. And I think it served me really, really well. And for me, it's about our ability to adapt. It has a sort of springiness about it, doesn't it? It has a sort of flexibility about it. So those are the sorts of things that I teach people when they come in, so I talk to them about how to be more flexible. But there is one caveat that I want to talk about with resilience and it's going back to what you were saying about sort of great British resilience. There is a slight toughness about that and I think that we have to be careful and I think that we have to temper it with a little bit of the ability to be vulnerable as well. And also allowing ourselves to sometimes Go into a place of brokenness because from that place, sometimes the biggest potentials are there for us. One of the things I wanted to speak about was work. One in four of us have said
2: in a study that we're stressed, and it is the biggest reason for work absence. What is our obsession with work at the moment? Is it the fear of losing our jobs? Is it the looking that so many people on social media as well seem to have? a really demanding job that they excel at, and then at the weekend they're part of hobbies and societies and all these things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that we've got to bear in mind is the world has changed dramatically over the last 15 years or so in terms of the way that we work. You know, if we go back to 1997, 1998, your workday started when you arrived at the office or the place of work and it finished when you left. It's not like that anymore. Your workday starts the moment you open your eyes and it doesn't finish until you close your eyes when you go to sleep at night because we will have a device. And those devices are pinging information through at a rate of knots. We are literally hit by a tsunami of information the moment we open our eyes. You know, most people are on 24-7. In fact, the University of Greenwich study suggested that 38% of smartphones in Britain today have got fecal matter on them because people sit on the <laughs> toilet checking their phones. Now, this is where we've got to, where we can't even stop to use the bathroom in mm. peace. But
3: this is a huge problem in fertility as well because if you think about the 1950s, you know, having sex of an evening was a really good idea. But if you think about us now, you know, we go home, we try and make the perfect meal, we're all off on our devices in different in different rooms we're not all together huddled in one room and actually sex comes quite far down the list of things to do mm. so actually you say to yourself
2: why have sex when there's something to watch on netflix yes. <laughs> you know um
0: but i think even tracking it back further than sex obviously our level of intimacy and engagement mm, with the people closest to course. us is diminishing people are sat in the front room laptop in their hand or the ipad or the blackberry or whatever So there's no time for actual conversation. In fact, the art of conversation is being lost because people aren't used to talking because we're texting and tweeting and so on and so forth. So actually our relationships are diminishing. So sex obviously comes further downstream. If you can't hold a conversation and emotionally engage with someone, then obviously your intimacy is going to start to suffer. Mm.
2: So what's your advice, Emma, when people come to you and say, I can't make time to be intimate with my partner, or if they don't have a partner, I don't have time to sort of engage with what I want because my mind is filled with so many things.
3: Well, it's quite funny, actually, because you do get people, and they, you know, they do come to me and they say, I'm doing everything in the book. Um, we go to yoga together. We do this together. You know, and you go through the list of everything. Tick, tick, that, tick. Uh, tick, tick, tick. And I say, how much sex are you having? Well, we're having sex, well probably about three times a month. But it is common these days that sex comes quite far down. So it's really simple. It is about stripping some of those things back and actually prioritising sex. And even if it is just, as you say, prioritising, spending time talking together, actually have time when you're not on your phones and cook a meal together, make those kind of commitments and pacts.
0: Absolutely, and I think it's really exciting that you say that because sex, intimacy with your partner is actually a really fantastic way to build resilience. Now and you,
2: relieve stress,
0: and, and relieve stress because it's it's a physical release. Uh, you know, skin to skin contact releases oxytocin, which is also known as the cuddle hormone, which leaves you feeling happier. It's physical activity. Now, you, you know, you're going to be a little bit out of breath if you can last more than a few minutes. You <laughs> build up a bit of a sweat. It's actually one of the few things I would encourage people to do at bedtime, which is going to raise the heart rate and, and increase the body temperature because hormones that are released particularly dopamine are going to help you to actually get a better night's sleep it's both
3: isn't it it's emotional and physical and it's like yoga but the thing is is people are doing yoga but they're not having sex
0: absolutely yeah
2: emma can we talk a little bit about how you got started because you have five books before I even met you I knew of you for years. Tell everyone how you you got started
3: and who you trained with. Well first of all I'm one of five daughters so there was always someone with a period in our house or a broken heart or you know having a baby and it all really kind of grew from there and acupuncture and Chinese medicine is very much at the heart of what I do and it's what I've based my fertile method on which is these sort of five pillars of fertile which we'll talk about later but it's grown and, and I was in wellness when when there wasn't even a word for wellness and I've sort of positioned myself very much between all the worlds of sort of wellness complementary therapy and medicine and and coaching in a way and I always joke that if you come and see me you might leave with a referral from anything from a surgeon to a shaman and everything in between. (laughs) There's much more pressures on couples to have babies than there were on my husband and I, twenty years ago, and I really see that, and I really, I really feel for couples because mm. there are a lot more pressures. What really fascinates me is when you ask people, women, what are the reasons why you might not want a baby? Because actually that's where the conflict lies, and they will be there. You know, I'm scared about what's going to happen to my relationship, I'm scared about what's going to happen to my life, or, or that they've become so resilient in life that they're sort of scared to let the guard down. Mm,
0: I, I find that really fascinating. It's, it's n- not something I've ever shared publicly before, but myself and my ex had five miscarriages. Yeah. Um, And it's one of those things that you just never talk about. And yeah, we got referred to like fertility experts. And, you know, I'd like to think of myself as someone that's quite knowledgeable when it comes to well-being. But there's the emotional component. And it's, it's something that is said, like, we just don't talk about. There are so many things that are major issues in modern society that when you start digging, you find there are lots of people that have these experiences or know someone that has. We just don't have a dialogue about it.
3: Okay, so that's a really interesting thing about this idea about resilience, isn't it? Because we want resilience, but we want there to be a softness and a yielding there as well, mm-hmm. because I, I think you know, too much resilience is, and and that's it's really interesting that you talk about miscarriage because I think that with fertility, what happens is, in order to conceive, you need to be in sort of feed or breed which is a parasympathetic mm. and most of us are in fight or flight yeah. and so the fight or flight we're very protected, we're very guarded and we put up this resilience and this resistance
0: From a biological perspective when you're in the fight or flight state, all the non-essential systems of the body are diminished like digestion, like higher brain function like the immune system which is why we are more susceptible to illness, but obviously fertility and reproduction, if you're being attacked by a saber tooth tiger, your ability to you know feel aroused or reproduced and not high up the priority list so it, you know absolutely from a biological perspective it's just not going to happen if you're experiencing stress yeah but a lot of people don't connect the emotional components they spend all the time looking at the physical
3: yeah well i always say there's two types of stress there's external stress and there's internal stress which mm-hmm. is of our own making and you, you know people do come in saying i'm really stressed about being stressed and, yeah. <laughs> and and actually that that bit of the stress is much more toxic like stress like to get absolutely. us up and out of Bed and to get us to work and all of that, that's okay, we can deal with that. But that kind of constantly um, stressing about the stuff that hasn't happened and catastrophizing that's toxic.
0: Absolutely. So, at the upper end of the spectrum, you've got burnout. If you're stressed for long enough and the pressure's high enough, eventually you're going to hit burnout. At the bottom end of the spectrum, you're bored, sluggish, lethargic. <laughs> you've got no energy, no passion, no motivation to get anything done. So, if you had zero okay. stress, that would be as much of a problem because mm. you'd be horizontal. That's what I would describe as rust out. But somewhere in between those two places is. Is what we describe as the performance zone. I do a lot of work in professional sports with athletes and football teams and UK athletics, that kind of thing. And they understand that actually you need an, a degree of stress to be able to perform at your best, regardless of what the activity mm-hmm. is. It's when it gets too much or it's not enough is when it's a problem. You know, getting people to understand and also to take responsibility. It's not your doctor's responsibility. It's not HR. It's not your husband, wife, mum, or dad. Our well-being is our responsibility. And it's when we start to take responsibility for our well-being is when we can take appropriate action to build our resilience. Mm-hmm.
2: From overcoming setbacks to making leaps forward, our next author believes that getting the balance in four areas could be the key to building resilience and conviction. Her new book is titled The Shed Method. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe. I'm a performance coach and I work with
1: leaders and people to be better, however they define better. At the heart of the SHED method is um, a methodology based around a simple way of thinking about how we work. So SHED stands for Sleep, Hydration, Exercise and Diet. And like any basic shed, if we don't look after it or maintain it, it gets rusty, it gets full of cobwebs, the, the hinges don't work and all the tools, the fantastic tools that we have inside it, start to rust. So maintaining a great shed is a great place to start if we want to be in charge of the choices that we make in our life. So resilience is really a matter of having control over your choices. And fundamentally, resilience is about being able to choose your mood so that you can then plan and have a plan to move forward. And most of the resilient people that I work with are really able to do that. They waste very little energy on thinking about why or blame or They're much better at focusing on, okay, I'm in this situation, I can choose my mood, I can control how I react to it, and then I can immediately put in a plan as to how I get myself out of it. There are sort of two ways that I work with clients. I help them anticipate when they need to be resilient and also offer them ways of managing themselves when they least expect it so there's the before sort of rehearsal and practice and then there's the what can I do in that moment when something happens and I hadn't prepared for it and actually I didn't even expect it so resilience is really about feeling of control that you have the choice of your mood so that you can then be agile in the plan that you put into action as a consequence of that well, I think we live in a world where we are bombarded by an increasing amount of choices and decisions, and we're getting worse, in my view, of, of making them. Which coffee? Which buggy? Which decision? Which you know? It's it's constant, total constant. Shall I look at my phone? Shall I look at the at my laptop? Shall I listen to this person? Shall I? The, it, it's constant, constant driving of distraction. And so a lot of the work that I'm doing with people is helping them choose. And that's sort of why the strap of the, of the book is called What Matters? Because actually when we can stop and actually pause and decide what really fundamentally matters to me or to others or to my, my life, then I have to apply the energy that I have around those priorities. I think the biggest challenge for modern life is that we are challenged in stopping and pausing and choosing saying yes to things when you really mean no constantly finding yourself looking at your emails constantly bypassing lunch constantly rushing thinking that you wish you hadn't said it even though you have going into things when you know that you're not prepared constantly saying i haven't got enough time feeling tired waking up feeling tired cancelling dates with friends people that matter to you feeling like you're in back to back meetings and sort of find yourself slightly boasting about the fact that you're in back-to-back meetings. So these are the sorts of signs that indicate to me that people are not making the choices that they want to make. And what I hope this book offers is a way, a practical way, of when I'm feeling completely out of control and I'm reeling from one thing to another without actually choosing it, how do I get myself back to a position where I can choose? I would recommend the book to anybody who is feeling either overwhelmed know that they're not paying attention to the things that really matter to them, and possibly people who are at a moment of choice in their life or are bombarded with so many decisions or choices that they want to just have a way of prioritising where they spend their finite amount of, of energy. And I would offer it to people who want to get into action. This book is a practical sort of manual, really, and in fact, you know, go back to resilience, resilience can be helped as soon as you can proactively make some progress. People crave progress on the whole. And often when you're feeling overwhelmed and less resilient, you're, you're feeling like you haven't got control. So I would like this book to be a, like a your own performance coach in your pocket that you can lift out and just say, right, remind me of what I can do. Not the reasons why I need to do it, but what can I actually do? practically apply when i'm in this situation in terms of resilience it gives you a load of examples i mean basically it's full of stories of human beings who have made this work for them and the many different ways they've done it so a few tips to get going if you want to be able to choose your mood in a moment of pressure and build your resilience are these so when you start to feel under pressure do something with your body so, even if it's just shifting your position or getting up and walking away, or just work with the body first and then the breath. And the body and the breath will get you back to neutral. Then there are three other things that are really helpful to choose your mood so that you can start to feel you're back in control. Appreciate. Appreciate times when you have been at your best in the past or times when you have felt in control in the past or times when you felt incredibly proud of yourself when you've been under pressure in the past. Connect to that. Have some way of really fastly connecting to that. So for some people, it's literally a ring, or it could be a piece of music, or it could be a picture. You know, I have a client who has a little black cab on his desk because he knows that there are two or three of his clients that can prompt him to lose his temper very quickly but he had a brilliant conversation with one of them when he was in the back of a cab so having a little toy of the black of a cab on the table reminds him of when he was good as opposed to i'm out of control and the final thing i'd offer is self-talk which uh, just be aware of what you're saying to yourself in those pressure moments. And before you are reaching them, have something, a pressure practice or a pressure self-talk that you can think about prior to the moment of pressure that you can apply. Uh, I have a client who gets very derailed by judgment, particularly judgment by people in her team and in her life, actually, she would say. And when she hears judgment, she goes into victim mode and she shuts down or sulks or takes herself out of the collaboration. And so when I was working with her, she wanted to have a different response. One of the things in terms of her pressure practice was to have a self-talk that said, out of victim, back into plan. Out of victim, back into plan. So as soon as she could feel the physical shutting down of her body, which for her was a retreat, she could feel it physically very, very quickly. She shifted her body. She had a slow exhalation, and she said to herself, out of victim, into plan. Out of victim, into plan. And that really helped her in the moment
2: of pressure. You're listening to the Live Life Better podcast from Virgin and Penguin Living. Thanks there to Sarah Milne-Rowe. Let us know what you think about the shed method by tweeting at UK or using the hashtag live life better. I'm back in the studio now with Neil Shah and Emma Cannon. Neil, could you tell us a little bit about how you got started and Mount Everest <laughs> and the monks?
0: <laughs> so I didn't choose this path. This path chose me. Uh, I started my first business when I was 24, which was an IT recruitment business. Had a great idea, no planning. I literally walked out of a job on a Friday and thought, I'm never going back. I started my next business a couple of days later. Somehow turned that into a multi-million pound business, won the Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, built it to skyrocket success, got invited to number 10 Downing Street to have breakfast with Tony Blair. Not sure I'm so proud of that, knowing what we know about him now, but anyway, that's a story for another day. And four years later, I went bust and lost everything. At the time, it was probably the toughest experience I could have. If anyone's ever seen the film Wolf of Wall Street, that was pretty much me. That was the life that I was living. Too much, too quick. And when... I lost the business, I lost all my money car repossessed, most of the people I thought were my closest friends turned their back on me the person I was in a relationship was cheating on me everything that could have gone wrong in my life went wrong in a 4-5 month period and I hit rock bottom I now know that I had a bit of a breakdown at that point, I was 28 I went to the doctor, the doctor suggested I try some antidepressants that might help me to deal with the symptoms a week later, I ate the whole packet thankfully I failed at that as well which was uh, which was pretty good And I just found myself in a really deep, dark valley in my life. And the only thing I could think about is how do I get myself back on top of the world again? I decided that the best thing to do would be to go to the highest place I could think of. And the highest place I could think of was Mount Everest. It was William Blake that said, when men and mountains meet, strange things happen that don't happen when you're jostling in the street. And there was never a truer moment for me. I only actually first shared that story publicly about seven months ago because I feel it's important that we do start sharing our stories because so many people have experienced it. And I basically explored every possible way of being able to go deeper and deeper into myself and it was in 2003 I decided to set up the stress management society as a way of helping people to deal with stress 14 years later we now get to affect culture change across some of the biggest organizations on the planet and we do a lot of research around kind of the trends and the impact the stress have in on modern society and what we can do about it, how we can develop a more resilient society. And people are looking for ways on being able to better cope with the challenges of modern life because so many of us are finding ourselves overwhelmed. Mm. And sadly, we can't hide those deep dirty secrets of society because everybody knows someone that's taken their own life or everyone knows someone that's had a breakdown or has had a mental health condition and you know up until recently we weren't even having these conversations so i'm really grateful that we've got more of a platform to be able to kind of really talk about where we are today and how do we build a more robust more resilient future uh, for ourselves given the fact that we've got a generation coming through that have very different drivers and motivators to, to the rest of society so i think we really do need to take that on board as well
2: Thank you for sharing your amazing story. You're
0: welcome.
2: I wanted to ask, actually, you've done a lot of work on yourself. You're saying you've you've tried lots of different things. What are the sort of top tips you do for yourself to keep your stress levels in check? Because you must have your triggers as well still that you go, even when you're excited, right? Because we all love our jobs. I find it quite hard to switch off. Even though I'm not stressed in a horrible way, I'm stressed, excited. I still find it hard. What do you do?
0: So this is the interesting thing. Uh, when you work in stress awareness and I'm sure both of you find this as well that people expect that you're constantly zen which is like saying to a doctor I bet you never get ill or saying to a mechanic I bet your car never breaks down of course the mechanic's car breaks down of course the doctor gets ill but they recognise the problem they know what to do about it and I think the key thing is is to build in daily practice, which is the antidote to whatever stress that you're likely to experience. And there are many different ways. And I'm sure uh, Emma's pillars will will, will kind of talk about this as well. And this is one of the things I focused on in the 10 step stress solution is not necessarily how do we get rid of stress? Because that's what the first question everyone will ask me is, how do I get rid of stress? And My response to that is you can't. What you can do is look at how you build your resilience and better equip yourself to cope with that so for me one of the most important factors is diet what i consume when i say diet i'm not talking about go on a diet Mm. it's what i eat having had a bit of understanding yeah yeah you, you guys are you know into your food but the other one is is kind of mindfulness and when i say mindfulness not necessarily talking about meditation And meditation is a part of it, but being mindful of your experience in life, being present in the moment. Right now, there's three of us here in this room and we are present with each other. You know, I've got eye contact. I know you're present and focused on this conversation. How many times I've been engaged in a conversation with someone and either physically they're not there because they're looking at their phone or whatever else, or even though they're present with you mentally, you know, they're somewhere else. And I think for a lot of us, For me, mindfulness is also being out with my dog. When I walk with my dog, I leave my phone at home and it's just me and Nanook out in the park or in the field or by the lake. It's eating as well. You know, having people eat in front of the TV or read whilst they're eating. So being present with your food, enjoying that experience. Exercise for me. I do most of my exercise outdoors now. I'm a triathlete. That allows me to have a better connection with my physical environment. Mm. How many of us are disconnected from our physical environment? because we're all constantly plugged into a virtual environment. Even people in the gym looking at a screen on their treadmill with headphones on. And for me, that's a huge disconnect.
2: Yeah, people doing meetings in the gym or wow. having conference calls absolutely. while hanging out by the weight. <laughs> so Neil, could you talk us through your 10-step stress solution?
0: Yeah, absolutely. First step, prioritise your health. Most people focus on fitness and going to the gym. Health is a matrix that includes fitness, but is much, much, much more than that. Step two, get a good night's sleep. Most of us are not getting enough sleep, and it's not how many hours of sleep you have, it's the depth and the quality of your sleep. So good sleep hygiene is really, really important. Practice deep breathing. Even though we have an abundance of oxygen, if you live at sea level, and it's still free, apparently they're introducing a breath tax at the next budget, but at the moment it's still free. So practice deep breathing. It's one of the quickest ways to change your physical state, which in turn will change your emotional state. Stay hydrated. Drink enough water. Our bodies are 70% water. Brains are at 92% water, but most of us are not consuming anywhere near enough water. Eat for well-being, not for stress. So this is, again, not about diet, but ensuring that you're getting all the nutrients that you need to strengthen your proverbial bridge to ensure that you are maximizing your resilience by eating the right things to build your well-being get moving to combat stress when you're stressed your body's expecting physical activity because it's expecting to be running away or fighting a saber-toothed tiger movement is a quick way to change your state adopt a positive mindset if you think it's going to go horribly wrong you're probably right if you can see a solution or light at the end of the tunnel you'll find that be the master of your time time management is a stress management technique if you fail to manage your time your stress will increase And don't be a slave to your technology. It has an off switch. You are the master. We don't yet live in the Terminator world where your technology is controlling you. So make sure you use it when you want to and put it down when you don't need it. And learn to say no. One of the shortest words in the English language, but the hardest one for most of us to use. And this is a great way to ensure your bridge doesn't get overloaded.
2: Fantastic.
3: Emma, tell us about your tips. What can we learn from Fertile? So Fertile is... I wanted to sort of take that idea, all of the things that I'd learned from helping people become more fertile, but also take it to a wider audience, because actually for me to be fertile is to be prolific and abundant mm-hmm. and joyful and engaged in nature, and it, it, it means so much more to me than just the ability to conceive a child. I mean, actually some of the most fertile people that I know don't have children and don't want children and that's okay um, so I really wanted to use that word and and to sort of pour all everything that I'd learned into it so yeah beautiful and so I came up with these five pillars can you just summarize them for yes. us flexibility <laughs> creativity nourishment transformation and belief So the first of my pillars is flexibility and that's about having vision for your life but also being able to be flexible. So it's being able to move around our problems with flexibility and to meet challenges with flexibility and it's sort of the opposite of
0: control. And it's you know the last two pillars of transformation and and belief. I believe that we have a choice in any given situation. It's which wolf will you feed, the one that makes you strong or the one that makes you weak? And often something challenging happens and we choose to feed the wolf that makes us weak. And actually, those challenging experiences can be fuel that adds to the fire, that burns your desire, that takes you to where you want to go. I should be a poet. <laughs>
3: that was very beautiful. You know, my father used to actually say, we used to go skiing and he used to, I heard him once say to the ski instructor, scare her just a little bit really about yeah. you yes <laughs> yeah. yeah and and actually it's true he used to take us off piece and he'd take us through these crazy you'd be skiing over the, the roofs of huts and things like that and it would be terrifying and you would cry sometimes but then when you got back on the slope again yes. it was easy and you felt so good this that. is
0: interesting this is a fascinating point do we I'm interested in your take on this do we feel that society is becoming less resilient because we are not allowing children to explore and to have adventure and scrape their knees when i was a kid and it wasn't that long ago but you know i'd be out in the park till tea time Mum screaming over the fence for me to come in to have my dinner whereas i've got a four-year-old niece and she has never been in an environment unsupervised without our parents ever and I remember from the age of four we'd be out playing with our mates in the park kicking a football around scraping leaves, knees falling out of trees all that kind of stuff now you know obviously when you are not put in situations where you can have a bit of adventure and sometimes get hurt or have a bit of an accident you're going to grow up more averse to risk.
3: Yeah, and it's worse than that. It's children in schools as well. They're tutored with an inch of their life. They're never allowed to fail at anything. When my girls fail, I say, "Brilliant, you failed."
0: Mm. <laughs> and they say,
3: "Very unusual," <laughs> but I think it's brilliant because actually, the, the times that I've learnt the most in my life was when I've had to fail.
0: And that's interesting. There is no such thing as failure because you can come eighteenth in a race and still get a gold medal because yeah. we're all winners. Yeah. It's like, okay, I understand what you're trying to do, but. How are we building resilience if you never have to face failure?
3: Oh yes, oh, in sports you mean at school yeah. now, they're not allowed to have winners and losers. Yeah, I don't mm. like that. <laughs> I could talk all day,
2: but we're going to have to round it oh. up. I'm so sorry. Okay, so <laughs> that's nearly it for today's podcast. I think we've given some amazing, helpful tips, some guidance, some stories, some some laughs. Can we give one last tip? Okay, one last takeaway tip to sum up your, your books, your conversations today and, and the lessons you've learnt along the way. Emma... Could you give us one tip for living a more fertile life?
3: think I think learning to, to rest, actually. I think we've forgotten the ability to rest and to switch off, and I think it's really important. So, yes, rest more
2: can I bring up one tip that I've learnt from you and you've said it a couple of times today and it is just you in a word is joy oh joy yes I forgot about the joy choose yes. joy I think is another choose good one choose joy yeah. choose joy
3: yeah it is I everything's mean, easier I'm very balanced in my life and I, I do occasionally dance on tables it's very important I love it okay <laughs> dance on
2: tables that's your top tip and Neil for you what would be your number one stress hack
0: Learn to say no. Don't take on more than you can actually cope with. And no means different things to different people. Obviously, it's a negative, but for some people, it can mean sod off, leave me alone, I can't cope, I'm not equipped to deal with this. I'm going to ask you to reframe the no. No stands for N-O, negotiation opportunity. A no is, I can't do it right now because this is what I'm currently dealing with. Can I come back to this later? Or if it's a work-related thing, can I drop something I'm working on to focus on this new thing? Or if it's more important, is there someone else that can take something off me or take this new task? Often people don't engage in a negotiation. It's either I will do it and suffer the consequences and stay late or get overwhelmed. Or no, and the person walks away feeling upset. So negotiate an appropriate outcome.
2: Wonderful. I've learnt so much today, thank you very very much Uh,
0: A quick thing, my team have put together a free resource for the Live Life Better listeners If you go to www.stress.org.uk forward slash live life better there's a resilience programme that's available free of charge Stress and Anxiety is a national not-for-profit organisation, we're here to help
2: Thank you very much Thanks again to my guests all the book titles we've talked about today are out now. The 10-Step Stress Solution by Neil Shah. Fertile by Emma Cannon. And The Shed Method by Sarah milne You can find out more about the authors on the show over at virgin.com. Live Life Better is a Pixie production for Virgin and Penguin Living. Join us again in two weeks' time. From me, Melissa Hemsley, goodbye.